Welcome to Startup Jab. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 28 of Startup Jab. I am one of your two hosts, Jason Nellis. With me as always, the Spock to my Captain Kirk, Teague Hopkins. Teague, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. You didn't, you didn't like that one as much, did you? Uh, I, I've heard it before. Okay, well how about the... Okay, let's do... No, 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 that's fair. How about the Uhura <laughs> to my... Uh, not Uhura. No, that's not very good either. Damn it. It's, it's slightly more creative. Yeah, well, you know, you'll get it next time. I suppose I will. Uh, today we have a very special. Damn it! I just, you know what? I'm going to work on that. I apologize. Um, <laughs> today we have uh, some very special guests with us. We have uh, Lily and Marcy, both here from uh, Aspire, which is a uh, software company that helps uh, other companies make smart investments in their workplace perks, so that they can recruit, engage, and retain the best talent. Um, we're going to get to them in just a second, but I do want to give a quick shout out to our uh, listeners here on the podcast because. Uh, you are part of an extra special select few that is hearing this and not uh, the normal blab crowd that we, we usually have. So, Teague, I, I think we owe these people a round of applause. I mean, digitally speaking, of course. Yeah, I, I don't know whether applause will go, come over well in the headphones or if that's just going to sound terrible. Oh, yeah, no, I, I don't want to spike the levels <laughs> there. That'd be bad. That'd be very bad. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty excited about this. We don't we don't get an we don't get an opportunity to podcast directly very often, and this is always a, a good chance to try and stretch ourselves out a little bit, grow a little in some new directions. Wouldn't you yeah. agree? Yeah, totally. That's yeah. what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And and what better people to, to grow with than uh, Lily and Marcy? Lily is one of the founders and the COO of Aspire, and she focuses on uh, Aspire's client acquisition and expansion. Um, and Marcy is the head of perk operations at Aspire and keeps the gears turning uh, by working in partner strategy and operations and managing those client relationships. So Lily and Marcy, welcome to Startup Jab. Thanks. We're super glad to be here. So to start us off, um, tell us a little bit about why you started Aspire. Sure. Um, so it seems like it was ages ago, but we started Aspire about two years ago. And the premise behind um, Aspire was really looking at the changing environment in the workplace and how employers were starting to invest both in their staff and also in creating a culture for their employees. Um, we started to see quite a bit of um, investment in this line item for companies, and it took shape in uh, took many different shapes and forms depending on industry um, and company sizes. So. My business partner, Neil, he was coming from a fast-growing tech startup, and they were throwing quite a bit of money at some really cool things for their employees. And I was coming from a very large corporation um, at PricewaterhouseCoopers, where they were starting to really think about how can we attract and retain millennials. And so they started to do things like putting you know, snacks in the offices and offering, um, I think they put in an arcade basketball on some of the floors in the offices. And so we started to see a lot of um, investment in these kinds of initiatives and programs in the office, but we saw quite a bit of waste and missed opportunity where companies were really trying to do something great for their staff and they really had good intentions, but didn't necessarily have the structure or strategy behind um, you know, making those uh, making those dollars really count. So that's really where we started Aspire. I mean, the way that it's um, evolved over the last couple of years has definitely taken a lot of twists and turns, but that's always been kind of the core of what we're trying to help out here. 
Yeah, it's so great that you have that that core idea of what you're trying to to do for companies because almost every startup goes through those those twists and turns, right? It's you you almost never end up with quite the same thing you thought you had when you started. But if you started from you know a, a particular problem you're trying to solve for a particular audience, um, then at least you've got that that core vision to to keep everything grounded and 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 pivot off of that instead of flailing trying to find <laughs> some way to make money, right? We do our fair share of flailing as well, but uh, <laughs> we're we're trying to keep our our coat our you know our limbs yeah. <laughs> so I am really fascinated by the concept of your company, particularly because in an age of of the startup economy, and more importantly, you know, people who are really trying to find interesting and new and, and creative ways to retain talent because it's always easier to, you know, to spend money to keep talent than it is to hire new talent. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of the perks themselves, what, what, you're, what you help people offer and maybe what some of the, the more popular perks are? Yeah, absolutely. So we see a lot of different types of perks for all of our clients. Um, our most popular perks tend to be catered lunches, happy hours, uh, birthday celebrations, but we do try to keep all of our perks a little more thematically um, appropriate and trying to make sure that they are a little bit more than your, you know, your typical sandwich platter um, to bring your employees together. So we do things like this month we're doing Super Bowl wing platters for everybody. So you have like wings and um, it's potato skins and all of that good stuff that you would normally have at a Super Bowl party for your company lunch on Friday. Um, which kind of gives it a little more flair. So those are our more fun perks. Um, We do a lot of wellness perks as well here. So we help people set up meditation classes, goal-setting exercises, chair massages for those really stressful months. Um, Anything that kind of, yeah, (laughs) we we would like those every day here, but, you know, (laughs) we're a startup, so cash flow. Um, (laughs) But we're trying to make sure that we really help fit into the culture of the companies that we're working at. And sometimes there's different goals that each of our HR admins are working towards or different reasons that they want to bring their employees together. But we, we do our best to kind of make things more exciting and get their people together over a good cup of coffee or a, a donut, um, you know, whatever the day calls for. And I think yeah. that point about having, like, the perks that we offer for our clients are going to vary quite drastically depending on, who the company is, and it might not even be, um, you know, the same within industries or client sizes. I think one of the cool things is, is that we see, you know, all of our clients are trying to be unique. They're, they have their own culture. I mean, we're not coming in and saying, here are the five to 10 things that you need to be doing to make your um, workplace great. Mm-hmm. All of the companies we work with are already awesome, and we're just trying to help them be a little bit more efficient um, with, you know, what they're, what they're offering. Um, I do think that the administrative details and logistics is kind of that part that can bog a lot of companies down. Um, But that innovation piece is also something that is a lot of fun for us. So kind of coming up with new ideas and we're lucky enough not only to be able to come up with our own ideas, but also be able to almost crowdsource them through other companies. So, you know, we're working with an army of people across our partners and our clients to come up with new ideas all the time. So I think that's one of the most exciting things 
about what we do here at Aspire and one of the mo more fun things that we're able to kind of experience with our clients. Sure. Well, and with clients like 1776 and Contactually, which are big names here in the, the DC technology and startup scene, I mean, clearly you're making an impact in some of the right places. Um, Contactually, for example, is blowing up in terms of the number of people that they're hiring and the fact that they're able to retain that talent is, I is, is certainly in part to the kinds of perks that you're helping them offer. So that's that's got to be a nice feather in your cap. Yeah, we've really enjoyed working with those larger companies here in D.C. and and watching the smaller ones grow as well. I think, obviously, they're, a lot of credit for those cultures comes back to the management structures they put in place and the different you know rituals that they practice every week to create those cultures. But we love being able to support their teams as they grow. And uh, when someone comes up with an idea, you know, saying, I, we want to do something healthy for our employees this month, we're able to help them quickly execute on that idea without taking a ton of time out from the rest of their day. And I think all of our clients really appreciate that attention to detail and that kind of quick turnaround that they are able to experience by using our software instead of planning things themselves. Yeah. yeah I think one of the things that's, that's really interesting about the way that you describe it is this, this idea that, you know, you can, you can help bring those, those innovations to a bunch of different companies. It's sort of the, um, you know, as a, as a, as a CEO, you want to, you want to be focusing on, uh, only outsourcing the things that are not core competencies. And so providing these perks and coming up with, you know, ways to do, um, you know, Super Bowl themed or, or, or Chinese New Year themed uh, meals and, and parties and things is something that a lot of companies get value from. But, you know, it's not something that they need to be doing in-house. And so the fact that they can have you do it and you can, you know, create efficiencies across doing this for a lot of different companies, both on the ideation and on the delivery, um, seems like a win-win. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm sure it's super hard for people to keep up with what restaurants just opened in your neighborhoods or where yeah. the best cake pops are coming from now. But because that's what we do every day, we often have really great suggestions about the cool new things that are happening. Or, um, you know, we've been referred a new wellness partner who used to coach someone really famous or, you know, a bunch of different ideas like that. So <laughs> uh, we, we get a lot of referrals and a lot of interesting, meet a lot of interesting people that way. And we hope to share a lot of those skills and, and talents with our clients as well. So one of the other things I wanted to, to bring up, because um, I like the way you talked about it when we, when we talked earlier, is, uh, is this, the difference between um, culture and, and perks and, the, and how perks fits into culture. But, you know, a lot of companies mistake culture for, you know, free beer and ping pong. Um, <laughs> and, and there's more to it than that, right? Definitely, definitely. I actually think the pendulum is starting to swing the other way in terms of ping pong. I think ping pong was like the first investment for companies <laughs> that were really looking. And, I mean, I love a good game of ping pong, um, and I think a lot of companies do. But it's, I mean, it's funny. I mean, it, it's all about being different, right? And it's all about being unique. And culture is one of those intangibles that um, is never going to be defined by one or two things. Um, and that, that's something that we really try to emphasize with our clients very early on when we're in, in discussions with them. Um, this is not going to be your silver bullet solution to make your culture um, awesome. It's not going to be your silver bullet solution to get you on a great places to work list. It's hopefully going to be a piece of that in the way that it'll be um, kind of the most effective and efficient piece um, to, your, to that puzzle is if it kind of aligns very nicely with your current culture. It's more a reflection of your culture as opposed to the definition of your culture. So Again, you know, Marcy's yeah. talked to quite uh, talked about a handful of the different services that we offer, um, and I think again, it's really going to vary depending on the company, and the reason it's going to vary is because their culture will vary. So, for example, if we're working with companies that you know have consultants and they are on staff projects, you know, all over the city, 
it might be a little bit harder to bring people together once a week for happy hour in the office, but they have kind of bigger, um, you know, quarterly all hands meetings where they're able to do a handful of different activities in a given day when everyone's on site. Um, other companies are a little bit more, um, you know, centrally located downtown DC, so they might want to go um, kind of experience the benefit of being right in the heart of everything and go to a Wizards game. So again, it's really going to be um, unique to the culture, or it should be, and that's what we try to encourage. Um, and luckily, we have pretty good relationships with our clients so that we can start to get a little bit of insight into what that culture looks like and hopefully provide some good suggestions. Um, but we're really here to kind of make our clients look good and what they're already trying to accomplish with their culture. Well, and certainly, I mean, certainly a good challenge to want to take on. Um, speaking of challenges, actually, I'd love to hear, if, if you don't mind speaking to it, you know, being in the startup space yourself uh, and, and with the exposure to the other startups that uh, that you guys work with, um, what would you say are the three biggest challenges that you're dealing with right now, both at the stage that you're at and, and where you project to grow in the long term? Yeah, we, we spoke a little bit about watching some of these technology firms grow really quickly, and that's a, a challenge that we're looking to face really soon here is how do you take a team and scale it from an initial kind of core group of people who have a history and a really deep understanding of those late nights building the technology in the first round or the, you know, the first big crash that you all had when the website went down. Um, how do you take those experiences and really expand them to be a team, uh, a supportive of a team that's large, you know, that can span different cities and different time zones and figure out, you know, how you create those types of cultures that really do scale and that we're excited to be a part of. Um, so that's definitely one of the big challenges we've been facing right now is figuring out what do we value as a team and how can we really ingrain that in our day-to-day -day rituals so that we can create these teams that are self-sustaining and you feel like you're kind of coming home to a family when you go to work, um, even if it is it is a day job, as they say. So I think that's one of our bigger challenges right now is, is creation of that true team mm -hmm. aspect. Well, I think it's appropriate that a, that a company that you know, your business model is helping other people cre create perks that, that fit with their culture. It's appropriate that you would be so focused on on developing a culture for your own company and, and how to build a team and, and stay true to that culture. Yeah, we're trying to make sure we're uh, drinking our own medicine here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're lucky to have, I mean, it's partially an inspiration, but also a little bit intimidating. I mean, we work with some of the coolest companies here um, in the greater D.C. and Boston areas right now. And seeing some of the things that they've done is awesome. And as we talked about, every culture is unique, so we can't just take what they've done and put it into our culture. But it definitely, you know, gives us some really great ideas and, you know, both in terms of rituals, in terms of core values. And so I think that the biggest challenge that I've really felt kind of to what Marcy was um, saying is, there are so many, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day work. Um, mm -hmm. And there's so much that we have to do right now that taking a time to step back and say, okay, what is our culture? Because for so long, it's been defined by just the people here, yeah. um, which is great. Um, you know, we have some pretty fun and exciting personalities over here, um, which for better or for worse has defined our culture. And I think we just want to say, okay, you know, we don't want our culture to happen to us. We want to be defining our culture as we grow. So it is important for us to take a step back from, you know, the craziness of working with our clients and building out our product and, to, you know, really putting um, our own culture under a microscope as we look to bring on some new people and expand to new cities. Yeah, I love that uh, idea of being intentional about your culture rather than letting it happen to you. I think that um, in a lot of companies, the 
you know, hiring for cultural fit is, is treated as, you know, we'll know it when we see it, um, <laughs> which usually ends up just being the end of all diversity because people hire people who look just like them. Yeah, who, or who at least act like them, you know? We have yeah. uh, Neil, our CEO, is a master of really bad dad jokes, so I think if we only hired people <laughs> that were like us, we would have uh, quite the comedian troupe over here. It's a shame because I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. That would fit me like a glove. It's a shame. <laughs> Just, a lot of I lo- Phil Dunphy's. That's really. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Can I just say? Can I just say? Phil Dunphy is an underappreciated comedic genius. Okay, and if you are fortunate <laughs> enough, he's pretty classic. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> As two Claire Dunphy's over here, we obviously have a special place in our heart for those perfect. films. <laughs> How utterly perfect. Um, well, I mean, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, one of the things that, that Teague and I often joke about on the show is that we don't want, you know, we don't want to bring in guests who look and sound like us. And, you know, the number of bearded white guys with glasses who are out in the world of Silicon Valley and startups and, you know, just the startup economy overall uh, gets a little gets a little repetitive. Um, we had beards before it was cool. That's true. That is a fact. <laughs> That was a fact. <laughs> um, but that obviously brings up one of the, the, the challenges in, in sort of human resources and culture in general that I think people often don't touch on, which is sort of, you know, what are the parts of, of human of HR and perks and such that are that are not so fun? You know, is there is there a part of that culture building that's dealing with the negative ahead of time um, that that is a, a part of what you guys do and how you do it? Or if not, is there thing, are there things that you're seeing um, that people are doing right or wrong in that space? Yeah, so we are definitely not in the trenches in terms of a lot of those bigger HR issues like recruiting and um, how to stay in line with the legality of all of that. Um, But we definitely have a frontline seat to a lot of the issues that our clients face. And I think one of the more interesting things that we've been seeing is a trend in terms of vacationing, uh, vacation time and how clients are starting to approach that like a perk. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a lot of crossover between, you know, our typical, what we think of as an HR person's role, which is hiring, firing, and then establishing some of those office norms. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a crossover between that and perks. Um, And those lines are definitely becoming blurred as, as companies grow and realize, you know, we need, we need to give some autonomy back to our employees and understand what they need and meet them halfway um, to make sure that this is a a culture that really fits everybody mm-hmm. and, and allows space for us to really become our own our own and grow. Um, so, yeah, I think vacation policies is definitely one of those things that we've seen. Anything else that you can kind of think of there, Lily? I was thinking the other th- I don't know if this is necessarily a bad thing, but one of the challenges that I've seen a lot of clients go through, we've had a disproportionate number of clients, I think, switch offices while they've been working with us. And, and I think it's a, it's a great thing because that means most of our clients are actually growing and they right. are outgrowing mm-hmm. their spaces, which is wonderful. High um, quality problems. Yes, <laughs> high, high quality problems. Um, but it is interesting to see them go through that transition because, you know, one, the, the main points of contact that we're typically working with basically get swamped, um, you know, for a certain period of time. And then you're trying to figure out what was our culture when we were at this, you know, older office space when we maybe were a little bit smaller and how are we going to translate that into our new office space? So using that as an opportunity to kind of not necessarily redefine yourself, but kind of, you know, see what worked, what didn't work. And this is kind of a fresh start. Um, but then making sure that you carry over some of those things, um, you know, as you move into a new space, um, which I think can be challenging, you know, both being just physically in a new location, but also as you bring on more people. Um, sometimes your budgets might not increase proportionally with that and trying to figure out, okay, well, we really want to make sure that we're sustaining this, but it's becoming, um, 
you know, we, we need to be conscientious of our budget. So I think that's something, you know, we always, we always have to work with clients in terms of how can we find some options that fit within your budget? Um, you know, we can't just, not, not everyone has a Google size budget, um, you know, when it comes to offering these sorts of perks and benefits. And so it's, it's a hard challenge. I mean, I think every company wants to give their employees everything um, and it's all about priorities. Yeah, well, and, and even and even if they had an un, unlimited budget for perks, there's still you know all these cultural challenges that come along with with growing companies, moving to new offices. Even if the company wasn't you know increasing in size, moving to a different office changes the the way that people interact with each other, right? Like if you if you have a communal kitchen or not, changes whether you know people eat eat lunch at their desk or eat lunch with their coworkers. Um, and then on top of that, add in you know the, when your when your company is growing, you know through those those inflection points. Um, you 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 end up having to change the way that you work, right? You can't you can't work the same way when you have five people as you do when you have fifteen or fifty. Um, it's just you know it's it's going to it's going to change, mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to you know maintain the through line of the culture through that growth is a non-trivial problem. Yeah, our CTO William is really good at bringing some of those issues to light, and so as we've grown, we've we've really turned to him to figure out. And to talk about, you know, how those changes occur and what they mean um, and where you can focus in on different things. So, you know, he always says there are things that you should continue to do as an as a ritual that kind of reflects the value that you're looking for Mm -hmm. um, in your company. So we do uh, toasts every Friday and say, you know, this is something great that happened this weekend or this week. And we really want to, you know, call out that William built that really cool product feature or Lily closed that client or whatnot. and that's a reflection of, you know, making sure that we really value what each other's doing and are attentive to our different strengths and weaknesses. And I think exactly what you're saying, you know, you have to figure out exactly what's important and the way that you work together can change. But how can you bring along those things that really make you who you are? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, is this idea of, um, of folk ways, of, of the, the ways in which work gets done, particularly the ways that are not necessarily codified in, you know, the employee handbook. It's things like like the toast. It's things like, you know, what kind of information gets sent in an email versus announced at a meeting. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what what kind of, you know, what's what's the power distance? Can, you know, is it appropriate in, in a given company for the intern to bring an idea to the CEO? And, like, there's not a right answer to that, right? There's not a, a correct culture and an incorrect culture. It's just, you right. know, different fits for different organizations. Well, actually, right. if I might interject for a moment, I, I actually disagree a little bit because I think that, it is a sign of a good culture across the board when your employees uh, feel that they have the ability to come and bring ideas to you, even as far down as the intern. I think as long as there's an understood... Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you. Well, I, I, I think that as long yeah. as there's an understood protocol around it, um, I don't think it's a free-for-all where you can just knock on the door necessarily every time. But I do think that there are... I, I actually think that it's a bad culture when there's such a buffer between uh, the people above you and uh, the people at your level, or to people at that level, rather. Power distance has a very specific uh, has a very specific you know purpose that it serves, and and I think that there's definitely cultures. So you know you you may be right if we if we're limiting it to a discussion of of startup companies or even tech companies, um, but but what happens when you expand that to say military units, right? Um, when you ha- when you actually there's a, there's a value for that that command and control cult- culture that is different from the open collaborative environment that we're all used to working in. Yeah, but we're not talking about military cultures. And and Marcy Lily, I apologize because we're clearly just veering off topic. Uh, Teague, no, not Teague, at all. Teague, we'll just have to agree that you're wrong. But that's not the point here or there. No, I, I 
No, I mean, I think you can look at you can look at Zappos right now, too, as an interesting example in terms of how a holacracy can can backfire, or can have a lot of issues um, in terms of retaining that talent. And it's definitely a culture that some people feel like they are they can be a part of and some people feel like isn't made for them. So I think there there may be two sides of that coin. But yeah. And the two yeah, sides are another, Teague, another... Teague is wrong and Teague is wrong. I, guys, I got this. <laughs> uh, that's not true. I apologize T. you were saying. Uh, I was going to say another great example is, is Buffer, yeah. right? Some people think Buffer's culture is incredible, um, and I think it's very interesting what they're doing. They have this this culture of radical transparency. I also know that, like, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable in that in that environment, the level of transparency that they have. It's a fit for some people. It's not a fit for others. It's a fit for some companies. It's not a fit for others. It doesn't necessarily mean that, like, they're doing something right or wrong, but figuring out whether it's a good fit for their goals and for their organization uh, is, is a question that each company needs to ask. No, I agree. I think I, I and I concede your point on the, the question of, you know, power distance as it relates to examples like the military. You're, you're absolutely right there. I just tend to believe that that I tend to believe that as a universal rule, culture should include the ability to uh, not only when appropriate, speak truth to power, but also have access to it within certain limitations. Um but I, I, I do admit that there are times where that may be too big. A 10,000-person company, it may be impossible to have an open-door policy on the CEO. And it's also unrealistic that somebody could want or need access at the same time. And so it may be a, a moot point. So uh, clearly not what we're discussing in terms of, of, of the context of Aspire, but, but valuable nonetheless. Yeah, definitely plays into how you kind of create this holistic approach to to culture. And, you know, as we've said, perks are just one piece of that. And there's there's lots of pieces like the ones that you're discussing here. So, well, and if I could try to maybe veer us back towards what we were talking about before, (laughs) this could be a stretch. So let me know. But it's interesting to see the users of our platform. Like sometimes we're working with the COO or the CEO, and sometimes we're working with Um, an intern or an office manager or an executive assistant and it really depends on the structure of the company and it's interesting to see at our different clients um, who has what authority around budgets around you know how do people collect ideas are they crowdsourcing it do they send it out to the whole team and say hey what do you think what would you like to do or is there a survey that goes out you know from the top down to all employees or you know do we know that the person who is the point of contact basically is going to you know has a pulse of the um, they're the, you know, they have the pulse of the company, and so they don't necessarily need to get the approval. So, I mean, that was probably a little bit of an abstract jump, but it is interesting to just see in terms of structures and kind of preconceived notions of who has what authority to make certain decisions, um, you know, not necessarily just in terms of ideas, but also, you know, as the topic at hand right now as it relates to kind of perks and benefits. I think we have seen a lot of different um relationships and users of our system which has been really great um and it is a reflection again of the company's culture yeah i, I like the, the way when we were talking before the show i like the way that you described sort of the way that you have the way that you've you've attacked getting into different companies has changed over time um and and you uh you referenced slack as a as an example of, of sort of the new way of doing things can you can you go back into that a little bit i really i thought that was a valuable valuable insight. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when we initially started Aspire, a lot of what we were doing was approaching an HR or a head of, per- a head of people, um, sort of an executive in an HR functionality and asking for a set budget and asking for quite a bit of money up front or in, on a recurring basis. And in doing so, 
we um, required approval from the CEO or the COO. And so our sales cycles were incredibly long. And I think we, we really thought that we needed a full buy-in in the company in order to make a true sale or, or convert a customer, I guess. Um, and recently, we've t- been talking to team leads or uh, an office manager who just does snack delivery um, or fruit in the office. And we've found that we can pick up little pieces of the perks that they offer and infiltrate a company more effectively that way because they see, hey, you know, that happy hour I attended had great snacks at it. Or um, I went to the meditation program that, you know, Exodus team had last week, and I wish we had that on our team. I, I, I think we should use Aspire as well. Um, and that sort of lower B2C kind of infiltration of a company we found has been really effective in both demonstrating the perks that we offer and also allowing users an easier way to access Aspire and to test us out. Yeah, I think the, the realizing that opportunity to attack on multiple levels is, is, is kind of a, you know, I think that more and more, um, more and more SaaS companies are acting that way. It's, it's a lot of people are realizing that, you know, you're not necessarily selling to the CEO or selling even to the, the C-suite. You're selling into various parts of the organization because it doesn't take a huge purchase order. It doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take massive integration. And once you have that foot in the door, it's a lot easier to get the, you know, the referrals to other departments, the referrals to other people within the company. Um, I think that's a great insight. Yeah, and it, it might even be more effective, right? I think sometimes those top-down approaches seem like great ideas, but it's possible that your utilization is quite low when that just comes as a directive um, from the top. And so it's much easier to say, you know, people are already using this. It's working really well. Why don't we make this a company-wide initiative? Um, and I think, point. you know, yeah. sometimes that, that can be even more effective as a, as a technique. Especially as it relates to culture, because it isn't something that, you know, we can't necessarily go in and make the case by saying, if you invest X amount of dollars, um, you know, your retention numbers are going to go up by a certain percentage point, or your recruiting pipeline is going to increase by a certain percentage. Um, you know, so it's something where, you know, sometimes to make those really big contract sales, you really have to have some hard, cold facts behind it. And culture is not one of those things that you can really put a number on. There are, there are proxies and indicators, and those are things we're starting to kind of build into our platform to see, you know, how can the investment in these sorts of programs and initiatives translate into, you know, net promoter score, workplace satisfaction. Um, but it is something where culture is something when you, you see it and you feel it, that's really the, the best um, referral or the best source of um, new business for us. And so the more that we can kind of create those opportunities for our clients and our users to really um, convey what they're seeing and feeling to their clients is going to be much better than what we would be able to communicate to those companies as well. Definitely. So earlier you mentioned um, figuring out the, the way that you're growing, both in terms of, of culture, but also in terms of, of approach to, to growing the business. Um, before the show, we talked a little bit about this idea of uh, do, do, you, do you grow by going deeper or do you go, grow by growing by going broader? Um, what, are you guys, what, are your, what is your current thinking about um, you know, building, building the business by expanding to more companies in the same city versus expanding out to new cities? Yeah, I think this is definitely one of our current challenges in terms of uh, the best way for us to kind of get that that acquisition that we're looking for. Um, so we recently expanded to Boston, and we have a good set of clients out there who are pretty consistently using Aspire. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a pretty built-out presence here in D.C., uh, but I think we're definitely missing, you know, bigger consulting firms or law firms here in D.C. that could help us grow our business from a 
a depth point in this city. Um, we have a network of partners already in place. We have a lot of different ideas and different um, you know suggestions from our clients here. So it's a little bit easier in terms of turning on that two-sided market. But there's low-hanging fruit in you know Baltimore and Philadelphia and Chicago. So are those places where we can really really quickly pick up clients and uh, see that exponential growth that we're looking for. Um, so I think it's definitely uh, perhaps both is the correct answer, um, <laughs> which is the eternal yeah. you know, problem of a startup is you kind of need to do as much as you can with the limited resources that you have allocated. Um, so I think one of our, our current ideas is to try to test out these different cities and see, you know, what does it look like to turn on a city? Can we do it more quickly and more um, efficiently as we continue to grow? Or is it always going to take the same amount of time and space to turn those cities on? So that's definitely something we're testing right now. I think um, at this point, we're trying to do as much as we can with as little as possible. So, so we're definitely trying to do both. But uh, it will be interesting to see where we fall on that spectrum as we continue to grow. Well, and I think you know, when Marcy says that we're trying to do both, I think the the way that we're trying to do that is we're trying to almost make it seem like location isn't a factor in terms of where we're going. So a company that we work with in Boston doesn't necessarily need to be different than a company that we're working with in Chicago or DC. Obviously having an awareness of the local vendors is important, um, but there are resources that are already out there that are kind of doing that pre-filtering or at least, you know, 80% of the legwork for us. And so as much as we can kind of capitalize on um, the, the networks and the communities that are already in place, um, you know, the less and less uh, it matters what city that we're in. It's more a matter of how can we build a technology solution around, um, you know, making the pieces fit as it relates to vendors and clients. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, right now we're kind of in the middle of it. So it seems like those are two completely different things going to different cities and, and working, um, you know, with more companies in, a, in the same location. But I think the way that we're hoping we're going to be able to do both simultaneously is figure out how can we build out our technology solution so that our um, our program is really geographically agnostic. agnostic. Um, because the technology is clearly available, available anywhere. It's really just a matter of building up um, the vendors and the clients. Well, and, and that's, you know, touching on another of these sort of perennial startup problems is that challenge of the two-sided market. Um, how have you guys... How, how did you how did you start out building the the you know the, the the suppliers versus clients side of the market and and which one did you start with and how did that go? So when we first started Aspire again about two years ago, we definitely thought this was going to be a partner first growth model. So we identified kind of the core verticals of services that we found to be very popular and, and um, highly requested across our client base, and then we identify kind of the top partners that we needed um, in those verticals. And we tried to get some variation in terms of location as well as price points and some of their offerings. And we, we kind of tried to boil that down to the minimum number of partners we needed to have a, a, a presence in a certain region. Um, so that's where we started. Um, I think that that was, um, it was challenging because you have to sell to the partners that um, you're going to have clients and you promise you'll send them business if they start to work with you, which, um, you know, we didn't necessarily know. I mean, we were going to do everything in our powers to make that a reality, but, you know, obviously couldn't guarantee anything. Um, what's interesting, though, is, you know, as we, when we actually started to expand to Boston, um, we kind of flipped that model in the sense that, you know, we were able to bring on um, some companies and then very quickly bring up partners to fulfill the requests and the demands that came in. Um, the reason I think, reasons, reasons I think we were able to do that, one, 
Um, we did have a couple of partners that are here in the DC area that had either relationships with or presences in the Boston area. So we had a little bit of an overlap, which was nice. And I think that will continue to help us as we go to other cities. Um, so being able to leverage our partner network almost to get us, get a head start in some of these cities will, will help. Um, but then the other thing too is I think the turnaround time in terms of bringing up partners is much quicker, especially when you have confirmed demand. So I think that was one of the realizations that we found um, kind of in the last few months is that, you know, finding these partners, there's so many of them and it's, it's really a matter of um, just knowing who to ask when. Um, and so as we can make that um, process of bringing in a request and turning that into um, demand for a specific client faster, I think um, it will be, that will allow us to kind of bring up those, those markets almost simultaneously. So, so what would your advice be to an entrepreneur who realizes they're in a two-market or a two-sided market situation? Would, <laughs> where would you suggest that they start? Um, that's a good question. Well, just keep moving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that, that's honestly kind of it. I mean, you have to just. I mean, I think the beginning is going to be the hardest. Um, you know, you're always going to have to start somewhere. Um, you're going to have to. Um, kind of present yourself a little bit farther ahead of where you are, which to be honest for me was really, really challenging um, and something that I you know, still struggle with today. Um, but I think it's, and it, it's a matter of trusting yourself and saying that you're gonna fulfill on the commitments that you, you've promised. I think being a startup requires you to be scrappy and kind of, it might be messy on the back end, but you, there's a lot of things that you can do to make things happen. It might not um, happen the way that you wanted it to, but the end result hopefully will, will be the same. So. I think the first thing I would say is just know that it's going to be messy and it's going to be really hard in the beginning. Um, but as you start to build up a little bit of a presence, it gets easier and it starts to fuel itself. That cycle of, okay, it's really slow to get partners, so it's going to be slow to get clients. And then that kind of just repeats itself. Um, once you kind of get in a groove, which probably is really frustrating if you're not in the groove yet, but if you are, <laughs> then it kind of starts to fuel itself and almost flip in terms of um, you know, helping you um, get like our partners are recommending us to clients now and, and vice versa. So if you can kind of figure out the dynamics between the two and, you know, potentially incentives for um, helping them build each other up, I think that's that's really helped us as we started to grow. So I have a question for you guys. Um, let's play a little hypothetical. I'm a, a startup founder and I am rocking and rolling within my first year. I'm ready to start hiring up and I'm thinking about benefits for my employees. And one of the things that probably comes up more often than not is the question of vacation. I'm bringing these people in. I'm going to work them hard. They need to take a break. And I know that there is a sort of parallel trend going on in a lot of companies right now between the idea of unlimited vacation, where I'm not necessarily having my employees accrue paid time off with every pay cycle. I'm just letting them take off whenever they want versus the, the idea of mandatory vacation. Uh, the idea that no matter what's going on during the year, I'm going to make you take two to four weeks off because you need the break and you're not going to take it unless I make you do so. Um, what are your thoughts on those two movements? Where are they working and where are they not? Yeah, so we personally here at Aspire have a mandatory, mandatory vacation policy. Um, both Lily and I failed to meet our mandatory vacation minimum. So <laughs> Did that come up in your be, quarterly this be, review? This will be very severe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're uh, we're facing all the repercussions mm -hmm. right now um, <laughs> of working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think both have merits, right? I think uh, the idea behind both is really important, and the idea is that we want to be rewarding people who are working mm -hmm. hard um, with some sort of rejuvenating factor. Um, how people choose to take those moments, I think, 
is something where we can over dictate what we think the right answer is. Um, and I, I think that that's a really easy trap to fall into. Um, it's possible that everybody just really wants, you know, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. off, and that's really all the time that they need in a day, or maybe they just want Fridays every every week. Um, I think there's definitely some different options, and a man- mandatory va- vacation has um, a lot of directives in it, I think. You know, it's it says that sitting on a beach is more rejuvenating than being um with your families on a on a sunday or whatnot so i think there's a lot to be said for both um but i i do believe that um this unlimited vacation policy does face a lot of issues in terms of whether or not people actually take that vacation a lot like we were talking about earlier you know if somebody's if your manager doesn't take that vacation then you're most likely not going to and so it's really more about how that results in a workplace and how that kind of manifests itself um, in terms of actual cultural norms, I guess, um, versus how what the handbook says. Um, so I think that's more important than anything else is setting those those policies and then following them in, at a management level so that other people feel comfortable making decisions for themselves and then to make those to make those to make those those proper decisions, I think is probably the best you can do. There's definitely a, a lot of room to grow, though. Yeah, I, I think I, I sometimes worry that that in either instance, uh, there is sometimes a disconnect between the culture that offers or enforces both of those to, to your point, you know, you guys haven't used your mandatory vacation time. What do you think are the important aspects of a culture to, to actually really not just sort of say what they, let me take a step back, when culture and vacation policy don't actually reflect one another? That's a real disconnect that I think a lot of startup founders uh, uh, fight with. Um, do you see in your worlds where, you know, the idea the idea of unlimited vacation time and the idea of, it, of mandatory vacation time is important, but not necessarily actually enforced? I mean, I think I think that's a disconnect that a lot of folks struggle with. Yeah, and I mean, on a personal level, I I struggle to disconnect from work because I have a perfectionist tendency, right? So it's really mm-hmm. hard for me to walk away and say that's okay, that can be dealt with later, or that's okay if that only is 80% mm-hmm. correct, um, someone else will pick up my slack. And I think a lot of startup founders have that issue as well, where it's like, this is my baby, I've put so much time into this, how could I possibly need or want that time away? It's more important for me to be there right now. Um, so I think a lot of it is is really internal reflection and looking at what you personally believe and then trying to build a vacation you know, model that would encourage you to take time off. So um, for me, yeah. I, yeah, that just didn't work out yeah. super well. <laughs> I think it kind of like vacation is, um, on one side of kind of like just what is work-life balance. And one of the things that I believe is work-life balance does not mean that, you know, you have to have a doesn't mean, doesn't mean, doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you have to, um, you know, be able to disconnect at certain times and not at others. I think work-life balance is really, um, defined by every person. And I think people have different, um, tolerances for when they want to be working, how they want to be working. Some people might work like for, you know, throughout the night and pull all-nighters and have, you know, sprints of just very high intense, um, you know, working hours, whereas some people might be okay staying at the office a little bit longer, but having, um, you know, maybe, you know, being able to talk to your employer or your colleagues during the day and take a lunch break. And that's fine. It's really just about figuring out for you, what is that balance and where do you feel like your equilibrium is? And if you start to feel like your equilibrium is shifting one way or the other, like your work, you're starting to work too hard, 
um, you know, for, for your own personal happiness and well-being. And that might differ, you know, um, depending on the season, maybe during the summer, you know, you really want to be outside and you want to be taking a little bit more time off because, you know, that's your favorite season of the year. Um, so maybe you take some more time then, whereas, you know, during the winter months, you don't actually mind, um, you know, holding yourself up for a little bit and cramming out some work. So I think that work-life balance and the same thing with, um, with vacations, it's really about like, what do you feel like you need um, in terms of your vacation? I know I personally, um, sometimes if I, like, I have trouble just kind of relaxing, which is something I need to work on um, personally. But, you know, a vacation for me isn't necessarily completely unplugging um, for two weeks. That might almost stress me out more. Um, but being able mm -hmm. to take, you know, a couple of hours off here and there throughout the day, maybe be able to go run some errands um, or, you know, go home you know, to Boston to see my parents during the week, you know, having that flexibility is really important to me. So I think it's, it's really about the individual and having them figure out what's going to make them feel balanced in the workplace and then giving those employees the appropriate avenues and opportunities to take right. it's not, of that. It's not work. It's yeah. not work-life balance. It's work-life synergy. Mm. Yep. <laughs> he said the S word. Our mm. favorite buzzwords. Yep. I love it. You're definitely opening up a window, too, into a, an internal conflict that we have here as a team is just trying to figure out that that strategy and what that looks like, because William and Neil are very different in how they approach these issues. And so I think it's also fun to see, you know, how different people are. I think I wish I could learn a lot from how they approach vacation and how they approach disconnecting um, because I'm just not very good at it. And so it's it's super cool to also be able to learn about those things in a smaller team like this. Mm, yeah. Well, and I think, as you alluded to earlier, I think there's also that challenge of when you are thinking about scaling the team from a cultural perspective, it, it becomes not just about, you know, what works for each person, but also, like, as a manager, then you you set the, the tone for your team. Right. And so then you have the question of, okay, how can I make sure that, you know, that that if I'm not taking vacation, that my people still take vacation, and it's a lot harder to do that if you're if you're not leading by example. Right, and that you're not kind of you know internally saying, oh, if they took vacation, they must have you know a problem with completing work or something, and just being really honest with yourself about your biases there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that also cool. dovetails too with the idea. Of, you know, we talked about this earlier about just accountability when it comes to taking that vacation time. Um, there's a Quartz article that uh, that um, uh, Teague mentioned in our, our sort of uh, pre-interview pre prep that I, I'm sure we'll be able to share via the show notes uh, that talks about Netflix employees and the fact that they basically have always been able to take as much vacation time as they wanted to because they've been accountable to themselves and to each other and that actually there's always a very high bar in their culture. And if you don't meet it, uh, then you're rewarded with a very nice severance package. Um, I, I think one of the things that we sometimes mistake when talking about the and I think you guys have pointed this out very well is that when we talk about unlimited vacation we talk about all these perks what your company really brings to the table is a way to really give meaning to the words behind culture when we talk about it it's one thing when we provide action it's another and I think the questions around vacation or lunches or all that I think what what you and tell me if I'm wrong but what you're doing is really taking that you know, taking that talk and making it the walk, so to speak. Would you say that that's, that's sort of the value proposition you bring to your clients and customers? Yeah, absolutely. Giving them the tools to make those decisions really effectively and efficiently is definitely what our software is there to do. I think you have a lot of our, our clients who are in the system every day have these amazing ideas and helping them execute on those to really bring that tangibility of culture into the offices is, is definitely our day-to-day -day goal. 
Very cool. Um, Teague, I have one question, and I know you're going to roll your eyes when I ask this. So if there's some way that you can express that vocally, that would be great. Um, one question I really love to ask our guests, and I'd, I'd love your thoughts on this as well. If you guys could go back in time to the very beginning of Aspire and give yourselves one piece of advice that, I don't know, might save you trouble or be worth, you know, considering for anybody who's starting their own startup, what piece of advice would you give yourselves if you could go back to day one? Is this where I throw in the there it oh, is. brother? That would be the that would be the <laughs> verbal reaction that I'm I'm hoping for. Yes, that's that's a good question. Um, so I, I actually heard a variation of this question um, that uh, Dan Pink asked Biz Stone, which is, "What piece of advice would you give to a 17 year old who's just starting out in business today?" Which, you know, the, the reason that the reason that Jason knows that I roll my eyes at the question when he asks it is because I wouldn't change anything, right? Like. I, I like where I am today, and, and you know, you never know what what piece of advice changing something might change where you where you ended up. But uh, I think it's also it's also difficult to sort of like imagine when you go back to what piece of advice would have been useful for you, you know, when you were starting out. Yeah, I think actually um, there are two two things that I would tell my former self two years ago. Um, one of them, actually, luckily, my, my business partner, Neil, kind of told me um, pretty early is, um, you know, you need to find your own instincts. You need to find your own voice and be comfortable with that. Um, and, and the corollary of that is, you know, understanding that there are going to be things that are completely out of your control and it's not going to be worth um, the time and energy to try to control them because, um, it, you know, there's going to definitely be diminishing returns. But I think one of the things that I struggled with when I first started, I mean, I was a, a consultant coming out of PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is a great company, but there are thousands and thousands of people just like me. And I definitely had confidence issues, um, you know, starting the company and trying to say, okay, what makes me qualified to say that this is something that we should do or build my own business um, and, and tell, you know, CEOs of other companies to, to work with us. Um, and that was something, you know, luckily my, um, Neil, my business partner was, was very supportive of and definitely helped me kind of find my feet, um, as I was navigating the startup world. So I think, you know, for, on a personal level, understanding that, um, you know, there's a reason you're starting your business. You feel like you've, you've got some sort of opportunity there. Um, you've got some of the right pieces in place and, you know, that's the best that you can do. I mean, People are going to have their own ideas, their own feedback, their own criticisms, and it's great to um, to hear all of that, to acknowledge it. You know, you should adapt to some of those things, but you should understand kind of what what are your instincts telling you, what do you believe, and you know, of salt, of salt, of salt, of salt, and being able to say, okay, I appreciate you know your feedback or what you. Um, you know, your, your criticisms maybe, um, and I respectfully disagree, and this is what I'd like to do. Um, you know, and obviously you can, you can say that in a lot of different ways, but, you know, making sure that you're not um, bending over backwards to every piece of feedback or every suggestion that you get and, and understanding that you kind of have your own ideas that you can be acting on, and that's the most important thing to really figure out for yourself. Yeah, in the, uh, in, in the, in the startup workshop world, we call it uh, mentor whiplash. Hmm. <laughs> it's sort of this idea that like two different people will tell you two exactly opposite things. And if you try to do both, you will end up breaking your neck. <laughs> That's a great piece of advice. Yeah, I would say mine is um, something that I'm trying to still learn. So I don't know where that falls in terms of a 17-year-old versus a, a past Marcy. <laughs> um, but I think I my 
key takeaway from the last two years is you can always push a little harder and you can always forgive yourself a little more. Um, I think we always think we're doing the best that we can, but there's probably one more thing that I could be doing that makes everything just a little bit better. Um, and striving for that a hundred percent, I think is, is always something that we can, we can be trying a little harder for. Um, I think especially in a startup, 99% just doesn't quite cut it. Um, and so I Mm -hmm. think that's definitely something I've been trying to, to incorporate into my own life. And then also understanding that if you do fall short, that, there there's a, probably a reason for that and as Lily kind of alluded to it may or may not be within your control um and that you can forgive yourself for mistakes that you've made and just move forward um i think that's super hard for someone to do who's in the middle of a startup um every mistake or negative piece of feedback feels like the end of the world or feels like there's nothing you can do to make it better but in a year you might not even remember the conversation and so um being able to recover from those and bounce back and say it's okay that that happened. I'm getting better or I'm getting stronger. I think is really important as you grow to be, to be really strong and to be a good startup founder. Yeah. I think, I think self-forgiveness is one of the hardest things for anybody to do. And, uh, and it's immensely powerful. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think that we're coming to the end of our time today. I, I want to take a second and just thank you both for, for joining us. It's, uh, it's a challenging place that you guys are in, in terms of both of the business segment you're in, as well as the stage you're in. And to hear that, you know, uh, despite uh, the the need to grow and change, you guys are holding firm to the idea that culture can be improved through perks. So, you know, on, on behalf of startup founders everywhere, thank you. We desperately need you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. This is well, a come great, back anytime. We'd love to have you. Uh, Teague, awesome. before I forget, uh, how can, well, Actually, I should be asking Marcy and Lily. Marcy and Lily, if folks want to reach out to you with questions or follow-up, uh, what would be the best way for them to do so? So we are both incredibly responsive to email. Again, going back to that work-life balance thing, we're working on it. But you can definitely email us. We love to um, you know, connect with people in the D.C. startup scene, D.C. You know, just business communities. You never know where it's going to lead. So um, our emails are just our first names at aspire.is as in Sam. Very cool. Teague, how can folks reach out to you if they have questions? The best way to find me is on my website at teaguehopkins.com. That's T-E-A-G-U-E-H-O-P-K-I-N-S.com. Or Very at cool. Teaguehopkins on Twitter. And you can find me at Jason Nellis on Twitter and Jason at Brilliant.co. That's B-R-L-L-N-T.co. And, of course, uh, we appreciate you joining us on Startup Jab. Uh, you can... You can join us every week on startupjab.com through our mailing list. uh, And be sure to check us out both via podcast here as well as uh, through our regular Blab show. And I think between the two, you will get your your daily hit. uh, Well, we should say really your weekly hit. But there's so much content to consume. It feels daily. It's great. Um, Anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Teague, is always a pleasure to to co-host with you, sir. Likewise. Thanks for listening.